so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. You know, I think God's in the house today. Why do I think that? Carl read my scripture. My scripture. Romans 8 is my scripture. You can have it as well, but it's mine, okay? And I'll tell you why in a moment. And that word that Pam said was, it's from the throne room. I really believe that you need to hear the beginning of Romans 8 for that one who's spinning the barrel right now. If you haven't let that barrel go. Romans 8, 1 says, the case is closed. Being an ex-policeman, I love that. When the case is closed, when there's no more case, we've given the evidence. And then it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not one little bit. So I just want to pray before I start. That has, Lord, that right now, I want to emphasize that that person, Lord, however many there are today, there is no condemnation here this morning, Jesus. Because the case is closed. You paid the price. It is finished. And we come here this morning to celebrate that you are risen. You are alive in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, yeah, he's alive. It is a very special day for me. I, I, Easter story is very personal to me. Because had Jesus not presented himself to me 27 years ago, I wouldn't be alive. But I am alive because he's alive. Because he paid the price. He paid the price for each of us. We want to celebrate that. He doesn't hang around dead stuff. You know, God does not hang around dead stuff. He wants his kids alive. And where are his kids? If you read the rest of Romans 8, he wants his church alive. He wants his church celebrating in the streets and telling people wherever we go, carrying the presence of Jesus. You know, it's great when we were here on Friday and talking about it is finished. Stretched out his arms. He said it was finished. And then Jesus went into the tomb and he had a day of rest. We've been talking about that as a church, and we'll carry on maybe next week. Look at it. Jesus went and had a rest. He had his Sabbath day in the tomb. Why could he rest? Because it was finished. There was no other work to be done. The battle had been won. And then on the third day, he rose again. And when Jesus was, I looked at that word tomb, it's, it's a sepulcher. It's not just a, a burial place, it's actually an excavation. And when we came here many years ago, the Lord said to me, I'm going to take an excavator to your life. And I thought two things, that's deep and it's painful. And sometimes it is when God is scraping out the dead stuff because he wants to fill it with the live stuff. So I was looking around and thinking about today. And a number of years ago, Pam and I were on a holiday and it was before we came here. And we were in France and we bumped into this couple. And we started talking and said, what do you do on your holidays? It was a bit like, well, how do you celebrate Easter? And it was around that time, how do you, oh, we look around graveyards. Oh, that's nice. Look around gravestones, there's, there's dead things there. And they just had this fascination with grave, graveyards. And I started looking at some, these are genuine inscriptions on some gravestones I found. Joel H. Cheskin, a golfer from 1946 to 2014. Finally, a hole in one. There's another one from the States. It said, I came here without being consulted and I leave without my consent. Isn't that so true? We don't know the time or the hour. We just need to celebrate that Jesus is alive. There was one from Scotland that said, a local dentist, strangers treat this ground with gravity. Dennis Brown is filling his last cavity. <laughs> oh, that's amazing, isn't it? But I actually thought, well, what would Jesus, you know, the big stone we saw up there, before it was rolled away, what would be on that stone? And I reckon it'd say something like, 
don't worry, I only need it for the weekend. And it's like, he's alive. He's alive. You know, Jesus is alive. He wants his children alive. And I was feeling about this, and I was thinking, you know, it's Easter Sunday. Do I get to have a day off? Can I rest? Can I just rip off a sermon? I thought, I'll nick somebody else's sermon. That's okay, isn't it? It's Easter. Give me a go. This sermon's good, though. I've got to tell you, it is a really, really good sermon. We actually did read a little portion of it, and that was amazing, Esther. That was amazing. Now, at that age, I quiver in my boots. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm a born-again sort of uh, quiet person. Not really. Yeah, right, says my wife. But I'm actually going to talk about Peter's sermon. It was one of the most amazing sermons. When you think about Peter and his life, you know, we listened and watched on that video. He actually denied Jesus three times. The cock crowed. He denied him. And yet here we are a little while later because Jesus has gone. He's gone up to be with his father. He's come back and spent 40 days visiting his disciples and hanging around. And Pentecost has come. And here is Peter preaching a most powerful message in Acts 2, 22 to 32. You know, Peter was a fisherman. Anybody here like fishing? Sea fishing? You like sea fishing, going out in the sea? It's great. I, you know, I love to go out sea fishing. I love to take my brother-in-law once. He got sick. It was quite funny. But I like to go out and fish once in a while. But to do that day in, day out, it's quite monotonous for Peter. Day in, day out, predictable. What are we going to do today, Peter? We're going to fish. Okay. And then what we're going to do, we're going to bring the fish back, we're going to sell the fish. Okay. And it went on like that, day in, day out. And that was how his life was. And then one day, a man came along the beach. That man was Jesus. And he said, hey, Peter and a few others, follow me. I'm going to make you fishes of men. And Peter followed him and his life became alive. He was filled with hope. And then one day, his, his life kind of lost that hope. When Jesus stretched out his arms and he died and he was put in a tomb, he was dead. And Peter became hopeless again. And he actually talks about Peter going back. Oh, I think I'll go back fishing. I shared that with, with this church many, well, it was last year, how Jesus recalled him to ministry. But there he is, his life had kind of over. Oh, I'll go back to it. It was like the disciples along the road to Emmaus, and they're walking along, they're going, We thought he was the one. We thought Jesus was the one. Well, he is, he is the one, he's alive. He's alive. And they suddenly realized that Jesus, the, the God-man, was alive. They were still hoping he was the one. But then Peter, as we saw on that video, and others, great. Jesus presented himself. He walked through the walls where the disciples were in a room that was sealed. And he showed them the holes in his hands and his feet. And Peter went from being hopeless to totally hopeful. And that hope never left him. It never left him. He went from hopelessness to a living hope. He had a living hope. Each one of us this morning, we have a living hope. Because he is risen. He's risen. He's alive. You know, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man. He was the God man. You know, he didn't live a normal life. And we're going to talk about that and look at these, these three things. As, a, as an ex-policeman, I love evidence. You know, giving evidence. And Peter will give us three pieces of vital evidence in this scripture. He'll talk about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus had a miraculous life. He had a meaningful death. But what we're here to celebrate today is his magnificent resurrection. Because he's alive. I just want to just have a little look at that. In Acts 2.22, it says this. 
I'm actually going to read it from the Passion Version. I just felt that this morning I want to read it because we need passion for our, our King. So it says, verse 22, Peter continued, People of Israel, listen to the facts. This morning I want you to listen to the facts. This is evidence, the facts. Jesus, the victorious, was a man of divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you who know God performed how many, know how many miracles and signs and wonders were performed through him. He performed, he performed many, many miracles. There are only 30 miracles in the Bible he performed. This had never been seen before. Back in the day, before Jesus rocked up, when people got sick, they died. The poor were around and they, they didn't have anything to eat. The lame would be limping and begging and doing all these things. Then Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. The blind saw. The hungry got fed. Sometimes Jesus showed off and he fed 5,000 in one go. The lame walked, the dead raised on multiple occasions. Jesus turned up. Jesus was there. New Testament has over 30 miracles where he dealt with deformity, with demons and death. And you know what? He's alive. And the word says that we can do greater things than even Jesus. That's the truth. He's alive. John 14, 11 says this. Believe me when I say that I am in my father and my father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus presented, believe the miracles. If you don't believe me, believe the miracles. And then Jesus was confronted and there was a lot of conflict. And in John 10, 25, Jesus answered them and said this, I have told you the truth and I, you did not believe me. The proof of whom I am is revealed in the miracles I do in the name of my father. I said, I like to, to give evidence. I used to have to stand up with a full uniform on and the judge was in charge, and I'd say, I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I give is the truth, and the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This is truth. This is Peter. Peter had evidence. He was giving evidence. And he went on. There was nobody like this. There was nobody, even Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who was actually a prominent religious leader. And again, for the kids, we saw that on the video, those religious leaders. They, they were a bit upset with Jesus, because Jesus had things to say about the religious. Church is not about... Religion, it's about relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about the fact he's, he's risen. But Nicodemus said this in John 3, 1 to 2. Now there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was part of a sect called the Pharisees. There's a word in there. He was, he was part of a sect. And one night he discreetly came to Jesus because he couldn't be seen in the daylight. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no one performs the signs and the miracles unless God's power is with him. That's a Pharisee acknowledging that Jesus performed this amazing life. He went on. He raised Lazarus from the grave. And he called out Lazarus from the grave. He called just Lazarus' name because everyone else would have got up if he didn't. There was amazing wonders. And there's a, a guy called Simon Greenleaf. He's a lawyer. And having worked with lawyers, he's not only a lawyer, he was a Harvard, he was a Harvard professor. Lived in the 1800s. And he said this. He said, a person who rejects Christ may choose to say, I don't accept him. But he can't say, I don't agree with the evidence. I don't agree with the evidence. The evidence is there. For me, 27 years ago, Jesus Christ himself presented himself to me and presented the evidence. I was on a road that was taking me somewhere that wasn't life. And Jesus just walked in my life and I looked at the miracles. I'm a miracle, a standing trophy of his grace. You know, not only that, he could do all these miracles. 
But he could do an amazing miracle. The best and the most amazing miracle he can do is get people from the power of darkness into heaven. He saves people. It's in the name of Jesus we are saved. It's by grace through faith. So he had this amazing, miraculous life. That was verse 22. In verse 23, he talks about his meaningful death. So here's Peter sharing about his meaningful death in verse 23. This man's destiny was prearranged, for God knew that he would be handed over to you. He would be crucified. They would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. Yes, it was all part of a predetermined plan. It was all part of God's predetermined plan. So he started to think about that. that you know, it's unthinkable that, that the God-man is dead. That was when Peter lost his hope. Jesus stretched out his hands. He said it is finished. He went to the grave. It was unthinkable. He died on a cross. The man who'd walked on water was dead, but he didn't stay dead. There's two things in that. There was a twofold plan. Yes, there was a vicious plot. There was a vicious plot to kill him, but there was a victorious plan by his dad. His dad sent him here for that very purpose. You know, sovereignty. This was where God had ordained Jesus to do it. But there was responsibility. We talked on Friday. Who had responsibility for Jesus' death? You know, in the book, it talks about the Romans. Were they responsible? Was Judas? Was Pilate? Was Herod? Was the false witnesses at the Sanhedrin? Yes, they were all responsible. But I was responsible. You were responsible. But ultimately, God was responsible for sending his son. It was God's plan all along. Like today, there's many conspiracies around about Jesus' death. You know, there's even a book that was written called The Book of the Passover Plot where Jesus was supposedly given water, doused with some pills, and he was taken to, by Joseph and put in the tomb. He wasn't really dead, and then he was just nursed back to life. But the truth is, it was God's divine plan to save us. Revelation 13, it says this, All inhabitants of the earth worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. You see, Jesus' death was a divine strategy. It was the strategy for the salvation of this world. God knew. He'd already organized that. Jesus' death was, as we talked about on Friday, was voluntary. He didn't have to die. As he said, and he could have chosen and said, nah, leave them to their, their problems. But Jesus actually wasn't caught like I used to catch criminals and take them to court and prosecute them and give evidence against them. Jesus chose to actually take his life. He chose to lay down his life. It was a substitute for us. It was a substitute as us. Jesus didn't take just, you know, this is for you. He took the shame and the guilt of the whole world and stretched it out on his arms. He took it all. That's the full gospel. We're actually going to talk about what really is the full gospel. He died as you, not for you. Well, he died for you, but he also died as you. Not only was there a substitute, you know, Isaiah 53 says there is none sinless. All have gone astray. Every single one of us. Even when I love Romans 8 and I'm a son of the king, but sometimes on, a, on the odd day, probably Pam would say more than the odd day, I'll bump into stuff. I'll mess up. We all mess up. But Isaiah said, yeah, you've all gone astray. But the one man who had sinless life was Jesus Christ. And yet he chose to take his life. It was necessary. It was necessary for our forgiveness. It was necessary to take the separation of man that, that came in Adam and bring us back to the kingdom of God. Romans 5.10, again, was, was referred to this morning. So, so if we were, when we were still God's enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself 
through the death of his son. Fully reconciled. Now we are at peace with God because we share the resurrection life. How much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? This is all about reconciliation. Jesus Christ came to reconcile us back to God. But you know, that there was a choice there. Pilate, I think he was up on the, uh, the screen there. And I love that, that portrayal. He said, oh, yeah, well, they brought Jesus to me. And I knew he wasn't guilty. But, but I didn't want to upset the people. You know? how, much, how much can we please people? We, you know, my dad died. Jesus Christ, my Savior, died. I can't deny that. Now, 27 years in, if someone said, hey, you, know, you want to please those people, tell them a sweet story. Now, give them a sugar-coated thing. The truth is, Jesus died for my sins and your sins. But he had a choice there. Right there, Pilate had a choice. And he made a choice. He chose to please the people rather than please God. And you know, we all have that choice. We all have that choice. I once had a guy, a police officer with me, and he, he, was, he, he just couldn't make a decision, to be perfectly blunt and honest. And I said, look, you need to choose. Are you going to do this? Are you going to do police work? Or are you going to... Are you going to choose to do that? Are you going to choose to leave? He just couldn't. It wasn't his right occupation. It wasn't for him. And that's okay. You know, sometimes we, we have things that are not for us, and that's okay. But I said, you need to make a choice. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with that, and I'll give you three weeks to think about that choice. And after three weeks, he came back to me, and I said, so what have you chosen? He said, oh, I decided not to choose. Well, did you know a non-decision is a decision? It's a choice. He made a choice right there and then. He's no longer in the police service. But we need to make that choice about what we believe today. Are we going to believe that the God-man still walks around in this 2582 area, walks down the high street? Or are we going to choose to believe, oh, it was a nice story? We need to make a choice. You know, Jesus' death was so meaningful to me personally. It was so meaningful to all of us. You know, I heard that saying that says you can't keep a good man down or a good woman down. Well, the truth is you couldn't keep the God man down. Because three days later, he was out that tomb and he was visiting and he was walking around. You can't keep him down. It was a victory. That's why we're here, to celebrate the victory. We can't do that. We, the word tells us if we don't accept Christ, we reject him. That's the truth. So we need to make that choice today. We need to choose the victory. We need to choose life over death. Now, Peter had given evidence right there. He talked about Jesus' miraculous life. He talked about his meaningful death. How many verses have we taken so far? Two. Two verses. But then from verse 24 right the way through to verse 32, he talks about Jesus' resurrection. Why does he spend so much time on the resurrection? Because it's central to us. This is, this is central to our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most important things we can do today, celebrate. Jesus is alive. The God-man is alive. So it was a magnificent resurrection. Verses 24 to 32. I'm just going to read those. Verse 24 to 32. So David said about him, this is the, the death, always before me, because you're always at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One decay. You made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, fellow people, YCB people, people who are visiting us today, fellow believers and Christians, even online. It says that fellow believers 
fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is there to today. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath what would take place of one of his descendants to the throne, Jesus. Seeing what had to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, for he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. We can be witnesses of it. Each one of us is a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. It's vital. There was one verse on his life, one verse on his death, but nine on his resurrection. It's as simple as that. This was the theme of Peter's sermon. It was the theme of it. It's the current theme of the New Testament. It's the only theme. And Peter was preaching out of Psalms 16, 8 to 11. Why was he preaching out of Psalms? Because he knew he was preaching to a Jewish audience. He was sharing the Jews, seeing Jesus Christ crucified and died. We go, he's not a savior. Our scriptures tell us that that's not the Messiah. But he was preaching out of those, you know. He was applying it. Let's have a little look at how he applied it. He applied it to the fact that this is the biggest day in celebration of the Christian faith in our walk as born-again believers. A number of years ago, I had a a guy at work. I was preaching on Easter Sunday, and I was working for um, an organization. And this guy in the organization said, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, "I'm I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of him. He said, well, it's your big day tomorrow. You know, it's your big day. Easter Sunday's your big day coming up. Good luck. And I said, I don't need any luck. I just show up. Everything's been done. That's the truth today. Everything has been completed. We just show up and we worship the king. There's no luck involved in it. We just show up and celebrate today. Let's celebrate. Easter is about every big event. The Easter show, all of those you know, grand finals you've ever been to, rolled up and won because our king is alive. You know, why? Why is he alive? Because Paul, Paul said this, without the resurrection, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. If there was no resurrection, you choose. If you listen today and you don't know, you choose. If there was no resurrection, it's hopeless. It's over. It's done. We're dead in our sin. We're stuck. We're messed up. We just die and it's over. We just like anyone else who's walking around without hope. I talked to someone the other day about going to a funeral where there was no hope, there was no Jesus. It's so sad. I've been to a number of those. It's, you know, you've got no hope. There's people there and you go, what do we do? Oh, it's a mess. Yeah, we've got a friend who's in hospital. Well, she's out now spending time. She's got to go through some treatments. And she's going, but Jesus is still alive. She has hope. She has hope in the King of Kings. It's a central theme here, right? We're just like anybody else. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, it says this, If we who are abiding in Christ have only hoped in this life, and this is all there is, then we are the most people, the most miserable and pitied people on this planet. We're not. We don't have to be because he's alive. Our hope goes beyond our 70 plus years on this planet. Whatever we get, it goes to eternity. It's an eternal celebration. So Acts 24, 2.24 says this, God destroyed the cords of death and he raised him up because it was impossible for death's power to hold on to the God man. It was impossible. It was impossible. It was impossible for this. This is actually pure logic. It's actual evidence. It's pure logic. You think about it this way. 
The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. How could they actually die? The one who said, I'm the beginning and the end. How can they have an end? The one who caused all things to exist in their breath and spoke it into life. How could they cease to exist? It's impossible. The author of life himself holds the power of death. It is not possible. Let me put it to you. As, a, you know, as someone who's served and given evidence, let me put it to you. It is not possible. So when Peter's preaching this, he's preaching to the Jews, as I said. It doesn't end there. He died for a purpose then. And they, he was raised up to life. And he's raised up right now. When he was quoting this thing to the... He was prophesying. David, David died. He went into a grave. The prophet David died. He didn't get raised up. So when David was speaking and the Jews thought he was talking about himself, he wasn't talking about himself. He was prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, have you ever been around stuff? It was so obvious to them, but they were oblivious. Have you ever been around stuff and you go, you know, you've been around stuff for years, but you're oblivious to it. You don't see it. There's probably a few wives going, that's my husband right now. Guys, you get off. I sat around. I remember saying to Pam one day, wow, look at that. That's lovely, you know, that on the wall there, Pam. She goes, that's been there for ages. What are you on about? It's like, wake up, Keith. You know, we've got to see something in this. In Psalm 16, David is speaking about the resurrection. Peter is saying, you know, but he couldn't say it was himself who died. He's prophesying about Jesus. It wasn't a personal story of the prophetic. It's actually a statement that Jesus is coming alive. Verse 32 sums it all up. Verse 32 in Acts 2 says this. Can't you see it? God has resurrected Jesus and we have all seen him. He went around for 40 days. We're, we're entering into Pentecost. He went around visiting his disciples. We have all seen him. He was alive. The psalm predicted the perfect resurrection. There's two ways that you can actually avoid decay. Because it talks about decay and then it says Jesus would not decay. There's two ways you can avoid decay. First one is never to die. And as we found out on Friday, that's a non-starter because death, mortality is 100%. The other one is as soon as you die, get resurrected. That's exactly what Jesus did. Because if you get resurrected, you know, the truth is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were gone. They were completed. When he was resurrected to life, he conquered death. Death has been conquered for each and every one of us this morning. That's the truth. And when he appeared to his disciples, he wasn't like some ghost or ghoul, you know, all hollow and you could see through him, translucent. He had food with them. He walked through walls and he had food with them. You know, he wasn't hovering around. The food went down. He was human flesh raised to life and spent time with his disciples, teaching them the most important things on the planet. That was when he said, you know, that's where you got to, to love people. There was 380 prophecies about this. There was prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' death, about his life, and about his resurrection. All of them were prophesied. Every single thing. These were some of them that were prophesied in there. That he'd be born of a virgin Mary. That he'd be born in Bethlehem. That he'd be born from the tribe of Judah. That his ministry would begin in Galilee. That the work would be working miracles. That he'd enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Exactly 30 pieces of silver. 
He'd be wounded and bruised. His hands and his feet would be pierced. He'd be crucified next to thieves. Clothes would be cast by lot for him. His bones wouldn't be broken, not broken at death. And when he was up on the cross, they pierced him. But normally the the, uh, tradition was to break bones so that it would bring things quicker. Never had his bones broken. His side would be pierced. Again, prophesied, he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, which was Joseph of Arathea. Finally, he would rise again from the death, the dead. It's impossible for all of those things. So I love evidence. I also am a bit of a, a, a geek. The only qualification I got before I left school, because I met my wife and I had an expert in partying and dating, but the only thing I was really focused on was mathematics. I love maths. You go look at the probability of all of those things coming to pass. It's impossible. It's a hundred million billion for all of those things to be alive. The evidence is Jesus is alive. He's alive. Harry Houdini. Some of you know about Harry Houdini. He's an amazing escape artist. He got out of this and he got out of that. And he spent all his life, he was known as the slippery eel. You could bury him in a box, he'd get out of it. You sink him in water, he'd get out of it. And October 1926, death got a hold of him. And he said to his wife, if there's a way out, I'll find it. I'll find it. Guess what? Harry Houdini didn't get resurrected. He never found the way out. He never found Jesus Christ of Nazareth. See, that's the truth. That's the only way out. Jesus Christ. Jesus was alive. And when Peter was preaching, there were many in the crowd that were dead. He was preaching to a crowd of people. He was preaching to religious people. They were dead. They were dead spiritually, physically, emotionally. They were dead. But the truth is there were thousands of dead. And many are dead today in their sin and their, their illness. They need to be born again. I have a really good old friend who's still around. And he, he talks with a Manchester accent. He said, here, Keith, they need to get born again. We all need to be born again. If we're not born again, there is no hope. Jesus wants to touch our deadness. That's the truth. You know, He was resigned. Some people are resigned just to get in, just to get past and make it to heaven by the seat of their pants. That's the truth. But in this scripture, in Acts, Peter is preaching the full gospel. You see, the full gospel is this, that Jesus went to that cross and he died for us. He stretched out his arms and he died for us. And then he died as us. That's the, that's the death side of the cross This side over here, I lived in this side all times of my life. But when Carl quoted Romans 8, Romans 8, the children of God, we can live on this side. Because that Jesus is resurrected, he's resurrected and he lives in me. He lives in you. Every born again believer, the Holy Spirit is resident in you. He's not only resident in you, he wants to work through you. He actually wants to get out there. You know, we didn't get the Holy Spirit. I didn't get baptized and I got saved in the Holy Spirit to just leave it in there. I did that for a little while. Jesus wants it out. The full gospel is we live on this side as children of God. King of kings, Lord of lords. Romans 8 says that we are the children of God. Sometimes we have to go and visit this side when things happen and we make mistakes. And we have to go and visit this side and say, sorry, Jesus, get forgiveness. But it's this side of the cross that the King of kings and the Lord of lords live. All have fallen short. All have fallen short. That's one of the most amazing sermons that Peter ever preached. It was powerful. 3,000 people got saved that day. Jesus had an amazing life. 
He had an amazing life. He, he did miraculous things on this planet. And yet he says, greater things will you do. Greater things. Why can we do that? Because he's alive. Because he got resurrected. He died for our sins. But he died that we might have life and life to the full. Can we pray? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the fact that you're alive today. You're alive. You're alive. The God man didn't get kept down. You're alive, Jesus. You're alive in every one of our hearts and you're alive and you want to come out. I want to pray this morning that this, I said that this was a pinnacle thing 27 years ago. The reason why you think, oh, is that guy crazy up there? No, I'm passionate. I'm passionate that none should perish. I'm passionate because Jesus saved me 27 years ago. He rescued me from the pit of hell, from all of my mess. And on the journey, on the journey, he's still doing that rescuing. He's still setting me free in places. But I don't go looking for those places because I'm a son. And this morning, I believe the Lord would say to you, you're a, you're a child of God. And if you don't know him this morning, he wants to say, he wants to welcome you home. Maybe you've walked away from him. Maybe you've, you've walked away in your heart and you've distanced yourself and you've grown cold. And this morning on Resurrection Sunday, when he is alive, let him come alive in you because he wants you so alive. So alive. Lord, just right now, I pray that, Lord. If it's you, just say it. Say it to yourself. Just say it to Jesus. Jesus I want you in my life. I don't know what it looks like, but I want a savior. I want a friend. I want someone who's going to lead me. And if you've walked away, just tell him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I walked away, Jesus. I've been hurt and I've been bashed up and I've been wounded, but I want to come back. I'm done playing Russian roulette. I'm done doing those things. I want to be that Romans 8 child. The Romans 8 child. And the Lord says, welcome home. Welcome home. We're going to go into a time of worship and a song. And, but I feel really that this morning, Carl said it earlier, don't, don't walk out of this place. If you, need, if you need a touch from the Lord, if you, you want to go from this place and you feel, I need to talk to someone about this thing, don't leave this place. There's plenty of us will love the honor and the privilege of standing with you in prayer. Because God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loved me 27 years ago so much that he didn't want to leave me in the mess I was in. And he loves each one of us in this room and those online. The Lord says, I want to touch you. I want, I want this resurrection Sunday to, to turn you upside down, to go from this place to say, he's alive. And I choose Jesus. I choose him as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.